is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. The man in the mirror, no more. Welcome back to another week installment of FUVFC, talking all things soccer. And on this particular episode, we're just going to stick with the ones we love the most, and that's the U.S. men's national team. Keenan Troy here, joined by John Tyos as well as Nick Guzman. Guzman. Every time Nick's on the show, it's just a lapse in my memory as to remember his last name. We'll get so it at some point. Maybe we need to bring in headbands and play headbands with our last names. I'm not sure. But, gentlemen, before we dive into what was a – I'm going to use the word thrilling because, you know, we saw very good soccer, at least in the Mexico game, the Jamaica game, we'll discuss. But what was a thrilling international break for the U.S. men's national teams? Before we get into the storylines that came out of both those games, the win – obviously against Mexico, and then yesterday's draw versus Jamaica. Before we get into all that good stuff, how are we doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, last week here before Thanksgiving, this was a great week of international soccer, not ju- not even just the U.S. Some big names in Europe failed to qualify and have to go through the playoffs, so looking forward to that come the spring, but I'm doing great. I'm doing good as well. You know, the last few days haven't really been feeling well, but woke up today feeling great, so I'm pumped up for that. Also pumped up. You know, you always get pumped up for a USA win over Mexico. And so, you know, I'm just excited to see what comes up for uh, USA in this qualifications uh, every way forward. Yeah, and so I think, you know, obviously introing the show with Man in the Mirror no longer, we're obviously going to start with that USA versus Mexico game solely because it's the one that if you're on the national team, if you're a fan of the national team, even if you really don't even care about soccer, you're always concerned with how the U.S. will play against Mexico, just being, you know, historic rivals and the two top soccer countries historically within CONCACAF. And they met this time in Cincinnati, which, before we get into the context of the game, hats off to Cincinnati because it felt like a European atmosphere. And, you know, maybe that helps on the field. It certainly should. But, you know, we, we've talked about it on the show, you know, that gap from playing in big stadiums in Europe to coming home and playing at a football field converted into a soccer field. Sometimes there's empty seats, and that may be detrimental to the game, the atmosphere. But Cincinnati was absolutely bumping in their brand-new facility out there. And, you know, props to them for that because I think we can all agree and say that had something to do with the strong performance we saw out of the U.S. You know, a resilient first half, and we talked about it time and time again, that the U.S. struggles to score goals in the first half in CONCACAF qualifying. Such was the case on Friday night, and then in comes Christian Pulisic, and, you know, coming back from injury, we talked about Tuchel saying, you know, take care of my baby. Burhalter let him sit on the bench, you know, had the game in a comfortable position, 
And then when the time was right, he's introduced immediate impact, one nothing, and you know, pulls pulls up the jersey, reveals the undershirt that says the man in the mirror. A clear dig at Guillermo Ochoa, the goalkeeper for the and captain for the Mexican national team, who says that, you know, the United States we're the mirror in which the United States wants to be in the sense that when the U.S. looks at themselves, they're trying to uphold themselves to our standard, which recently really hasn't been the case with the United States, you know, beating Mexico in the last three matches they've played against them across, you know, meaningful matches, that is. But ignoring all that, let's get to the immediate knee-jerk reactions because I think we can take this match however we want, but there was a lot of positives out of the United States men's national team program that at times has had big questions. Particularly for me, I was really impressed with the midfield play, that Musa, Adams, and McKinney trio, that needs to be, Greg Berhalter should get that three tattooed on his arm because that should not change so long as they are all fit. Tim Weah is becoming a really strong winger. And then I think obviously the biggest headline is that Christian Pulisic is proving yet again, despite you know whatever doubts there may be if he's really the man moving forward, he is the man for this team, and he probably will be for the next 10 years. He is for sure. I mean, just the impact directly off the bench, It's and it, it had to be him. It really did. You felt like as soon as he subbed on, he was going to change the game. But my initial knee-jerk reaction is that, you know, Greg, I think for the first time in a long time, pushed all the right buttons at the right time in that Mexico game. I think he got the starting lineup perfect. I think he's realized, and I think we've all realized that, that midfield trio, Adams, Musa, and McKenney. They're all young, but they're so energetic. And I mean, they've got a lot of they're a lot of years younger than that Mexico midfield, and it showed just they were running circles around him at times. And the timing of the Pulisic substitution right around the sixty fifth minute was perfect. Right when the US needed a little bit of a a little bit of a boost. And I think that's a performance to be really proud of for this US US men's national team. I mean Yes, they beat Mexico two times earlier in the year, but the Nations League game, it was really three set-piece goals. It wasn't as complete of a performance. The Gold Cup final, again, a set-piece goal on that header from Miles Robinson. This game was pure domination. Not from start to finish, but the fact that they were able to hang in in that first half and come out so strong in the second. This was this is the proudest performance I've seen in a long time from this men's national team. Yeah, one thing that you know we've talked about on the podcast for weeks now is the lineup selection. And the 11 that Greg Berhalter selected has been consistent in the last couple of games. And we said that that, that needed to happen in order for this U.S. Uh, men's national team to gel together and to play together. And so that's exactly what Greg Berhalter did. And, you know, early on in this game, like Nick, you were saying, uh, Mexico had some chances. You know, Chucky Lozano, um, Zach Steffen made a really nice save on him. And then um, uh, later on, there was a missed chance by Mexico in the first half. But, you know, this U.S. national team, they're able to battle, and they're young, and they're hungry, and they're scrappy. And once Pulisic got subbed on, like you said, Nick, you know, it had to be him. His first touch on the pitch, he just has that, like, knack for scoring goals. And, you know, he was in the right place at the right time, had that instinct, um, like not many other people do in the CONCACAF. And, you know, he's proven himself time after time again, being one of the best players in the CONCACAF and, you know, now in the world. And so, you know, I'm really excited about this U.S. men's national team moving forward. And, you know, for Mexico now, you know, they took that game and even after that, taking that loss to Canada. Now now they're on the ropes. Maybe they won't qualify for the World Cup. And, you know, now USA and Canada, you know, they're taking over the, the CONCACAF. So it's going to be really exciting to see um, 
in the next couple of games for qualifications to see what happens. But if you're a U.S. men's national team fan, you got to be happy with the win over Mexico and four points in this two-game span. Yeah, and I think, you know, you touched on the, Nick, you touched on the age differential between the two midfielders, midfields, excuse me, and I think what's perhaps more reassuring from the U.S. side is that, A, keep in mind you're still without key guys such as Serginho Dest as well as Gio Reyna, but I also think that you've there's been questions about the roster placement because Burlhalter, as we've seen in the past, has tried to utilize Tyler Adams in roles in which he's not involved in the midfield, and you put him in the back line. But, you know, obviously a 2-0 scoreline. Happy with the clean sheet. You know, you, John, you mentioned those chances that came early in the first half, but with the exception of those and exception of that one breakaway stop by Stefan, you look at that those center backing pair that center backing pairing between Walker Zimmerman as well as Miles Robinson and I thought they played phenomenal. I thought that we'd seen chemistry bef- between them two, you know, little f- glimpses in other qualifying matches, but especially in that game against Mexico there was a great understanding about when one's going to step, the other drops. You know, you see a ball in the second half played into Chucky Lozano into space because Miles Robinson had stepped up. Walker Zimmerman makes a phenomenal recovery run to snuff out that chance. And I think from the wingback perspective, too, you know, we've seen Tyler Adams fill that right-back role when, especially now that Dest is out, you kind of thought, do we have somebody that can play in that space if we needed him to? And I think you saw DeAndre Yedlin put in perhaps one of his greatest performances for this U.S. men's national team. Tough to consider him a veteran, but by and large is just because he was so young getting his debut with the team all the way back in 2014 and then you know has kind of risen and fallen in terms of potential and versus what he's actually producing but I think he's found a role in this team is that he doesn't need to be you know a superstar right back that they were expecting he doesn't need to be the guy to provide service he just needs to be box to box technically sound on defense and provide good link up play which I thought we saw and I think that's super crucial when you consider you know Obviously, you're going to roll Anthony Robinson on the one side and then Dest when he's fit. But I think t- this performance from Yedlin, you saw him turn in. You're comfortable saying, you know, if I need to play a fullback that can defend, he can defend. And maybe that's a question, can Dest defend because he's so good going forward? But definitely looked as though Yedlin was playing up to what his potential was years ago. And it's it's really comfortable for Burhalter. it should be, at least, that, you know, you've got depth and We've talked about depth. We've thought about depth, and mostly it's up front. But to have that in the back is super, super important for this U.S. program going forward. I think the depth chart as we go through these qualifiers just gets a little bit clearer as time goes on. Because I think Dest is definitely the number one at right back. But then behind him, you had Yedlin, you had Reggie Cannon, who's on the roster. Shaq Moore's gotten some game time in the Gold Cup, and he got a call up a camp ago or so. But I think Reggie Cannon is kind of struggling for game time at Boa Vista. Uh, Shaq Moore hasn't played much to his club. So I think Yedlin is more and more cementing himself as number two behind Dest. And I think that Mexico performance really solidified that. I also think that that's the best game Walker Zimmerman has ever played in a U.S. shirt, by and large. When when Greg announced the roster and there was no John Brooks, I was a little bit worried. I know John Brooks hadn't been in the best form for the national team. He started to pick it up for uh, Wolfsburg over the last couple weeks. But I was a little bit worried, but I figured he'd start Zimmerman, and that was – unbelievable performance from Walker um, and 
you know, the way Greg plays his center backs, it's kind of like one physical guy, like whether it's Zimmerman or Brooks, and then a speedster, whether it's Robinson or Chris Richards, like we saw in Jamaica. And I think that's the perfect balance. Like you said, Keenan, when one stepped, the other one stayed back. Robinson is the speed to cover if Zimmerman gets caught out. And I think that's the most solid I think a U.S. backline has looked in a long time. And I think Walker Zimmerman is really making a case to be, you know, a stalwart at the back, you know, for for some time to come. Yeah, I think one thing that we were really looking forward to was, you know, seeing how this back line would defend against a team of quality like Mexico. And so to see them pass that test with flying colors and keep a clean sheet against Mexico, you know, that's really what we wanted to see. And so we always knew that the problem wasn't going to be scoring goals for this team. You know, they, now and now with the depth that they have up top and with Gio Reyna coming back, and we've seen proven players, um, and now that Timothy Way is in good form and Pepe is cementing himself as the number nine for the team. And players like Aronson and Ariola, you know, coming off the bench and they've shown that they can be effective. You know, this team is now a complete team. And, you know, they they have the capability and they have the players. And, you know, now they have a certain amount of experience playing together. And I think that they could that could only serve them well moving forward and in these next couple of qualification games and hopefully in the World Cup. And, you know, the game ultimately finishes 2-0, Dos Acero, which has become a storyline in of its own self just because typically when the United States plays Mexico, this scoreline seemingly comes up. You can go back to 06 when Donovan scores a late clincher, sealing the United States' fate and sending them to Germany for that World Cup. You can look to you know 2015, Jordan Morris scoring a brace in his national team debut, Dos Acero versus Mexico. Weston McKinney gets on the score sheet, which I think is really huge for this team, just because he provides so much quality out of that midfield in terms of passing, in terms of, you know, he's, as I see it, he's really the guy that initiates press for this team. So when McKinney goes, it seems like everybody else in that front three, and then, you know, Musa typically steps and Adams kind of sinks in. But I think... McKenney's really a tone setter for the midfield and for the offense, so it's always good to see him on the score sheet. And then Miles Robinson picks up a red card in the 89th minute. A little reckless, you know, you're just trying to cement the lead there, so you don't think that it was anything personal. You don't think it was, you know, dumb. I think it was just more of a trying to make sure the game stays 2-0 because you know if they score one, Mexico even gets a sniff, they're always going to be dangerous. But then let's transition now to last night. This is being recorded on Wednesday. November 17th, so Tuesday the 16th, the United States goes down to Kingston, Jamaica. Timothy Weah continues his good run of form. He gets an early goal for the United States, and we kind of thought, especially after that one goes in, that this game might be a runaway, just the way the United States was building, just the way that they had created several good chances before Weah finds that first one. And it all comes to not when Mikel Antonio, who... The United States play when the United States played Jamaica at home. He wasn't in the squad because of fitness, and so now you go one-one level and ultimately ends in a one-one draw. But I want to start with that way a goal, just because we talk about how good that he is in form, and you know, obviously with having a complete legend of a dad in Tim Weah, who is currently the president of Liberia, which is crazy in of its own self. But you know, he's really going to be crucial for this team playing out wide, and I think he's right now almost asking the question of Burr Halter and saying, hey, when when Reyna's back, am I going to be I'm, – I'm not right in the bench for Gio Reyna. 
You can sit Pulisic. You can sit. You can force Pulisic to play the nine and send Pepe to the bench. Or you can sit Pulisic or you can sit Gio, but I'm not coming out. Which I think is, you know, going to be an interesting conversation when Gio's back into fitness. But for right now, obviously, as we said, Tim Way is in incredible form. He scores that first goal. But then the pressure kind of drops off. In the United States, I don't want to say get complacent. I don't want to say they got cocky, but it felt like to me after watching away a score, they expected Jamaica to just kind of keel over and die and let the United States maybe add one or two more and then just get out with, you know, six of six, which would have been perfect. We could have named this podcast Dosis Arrow. United States goes undefeated in qualifying. But sadly, the Jamaicans had something to say about it. It was a little bit worrying just how much the levels dropped, not so much after the way goal, but after the Antonio equalizer. And that kind of stunned stunned the U.S. and kind of took the wind out of their sails. It is an inexperienced group, and we've mentioned so much how qualifying in CONCACAF is difficult. But I think a lot of players did not have great games. Anthony Robinson I thought was very rough at left back. I think John Luca Busio is kind of a non-factor in the midfield. But I think that being said, in terms of Tim Weah, He's such a different player than Gio Reyna. It's just interesting that they're pushed into the same position because of the system that Greg kind of plays. You know, more for Dortmund, you'd see Gio in, Gio in like an attacking midfield type role. Even for Leal, way as like a second striker behind uh, Jonathan David. So it's interesting that they're both pushed to the right wing and just way is so much more direct, so much more physical. Gio is more creative. But, I mean, it's good to have options, especially as we've seen in this like in this Jamaica game, people are going to have bad games. Anthony Robinson had a bad game. Busio was not great. So if someone's out of form, the fact that you have options on the bench, the depth in qualifying is so important. Um, I was a little bit disappointed with the result as a whole because I think particularly after the way goal, Brendan Aronson got a chance. There was there was chances for the U.S. a little bit in the beginning, but then it seemed like they were kind of complacent for the draw, and then there was that that moment towards the end um, on that Jamaica corner kick where Damian Lowe headed into the net and Walker Zimmerman was defending and they called the foul on Lowe. And I've watched that back a couple times. I don't think it was a foul. I think the U.S. in the end got a little bit lucky to get a draw. Not a great performance, especially after the Mexico game. But, you know, four points. They said you win at home in CONCACAF, you tie on the road. That'll get you to the World Cup. But still, a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, and I, I think that you know, especially with that, you know, it's a goal that goes in and then gets taken off. And you, I, I at least expected there to be a change in, you know, at least competitiveness in the midfield after the United States has seemingly let off the hook from what should have been a sure goal, but, you know, account for some nitty-gritty foul and ultimately still sitting 1-1. I thought that we might have seen a change in emphasis to go out and take this game. We didn't see it, and so maybe that's concerning. But I think in the long run, as you said, Nick, it's you're happy with that result against Jamaica. I think what is more concerning, though, is why can't the United States play on the road? And I think that's you know something we've seen throughout this qualifying run, whether it be in Panama, whether it be in Jamaica, whether it be four years ago in Trinidad. The United States plays so much better when they're at home, but it begs the question of when you get to the World Cup, how are you going to play? Because, granted, nobody's at home, but you're also not where you play the best. Yeah, and it's going to be really difficult um, for the USA. And, you know, I think this game against Jamaica, I think it was it was really just, um, you know, they kind of took the foot off the gas pedal. 
And, you know, when you're playing against Mexico, you get pumped up for that game. And, you know, it's a different kind of game. It's not just a CONCACAF World Cup qualifier. You know, it's your it's your biggest game of the season. And everybody's ready. You got your country behind you. Everybody's watching as a fan. And, you know, I think the players know that. And then when you go on the road to Jamaica and the crowd's not there and, you know, you're playing a team that's, you know, not at the same level as that Mexican national team, you know, you kind of take a step off. And I think that's exactly what USA did. And, you know, that's the result that we see here, 1-1 draw. And honestly, in this game, I thought that USA should have lost this game. You know, um, no VAR in Jamaica, which is something that, you know, I think really should be fixed. I think VAR should be in every stadium. I don't know why it isn't. Um, That's something that's concerning to me. But also there was a miss earlier on in the game um, from a Jamaican player inside the six-yard box that went over the crossbar. Um, You know, it wasn't really a great performance by this USA team. You take the tie and you go into the next break um, with four points from these two games. Um, But really what you have to do is, you know, not take your foot off the gas pedal and, you know, continue to have the same mentality as a Mexico Mexico game as you do any other game. I think for me, there's still an area of concern at the nine position at striker. You know, we all love Ricardo Pepe. He's, you know, he proved it earlier that he's going to score. He scored the two against Jamaica. Um, he was good in the September window too, but I think it's a little bit concerning when that's your only option up front because when if an 18-year-old isn't exactly on his game, you need to have options behind that. They call that Jesus Ferreira, who's been in good form for FC Dallas. But you know, I think us men's national team fans do this thing where a striker scores a couple goals, whether it's Josh Sargent, Daryl D.K., or Sibachu, um, or now Pepe, and then, okay, that's our striker, and then they have a bad run of form, and then we're, we seem to be back at the same place, place again. I think Pepe is the future, but I think in, in a, this window where he's a little bit of a non-factor, it's a little bit concerning when you don't really have any options off the bench to change that. It didn't really matter in the Mexico game, but in the, in the Jamaica game, I think just when when a player like that is not playing well, I don't mean to single him out at all. I mean, he's a great player. It's just... I still think the number nine position is a bit of a worry for this U.S. team. Yeah, and I think, you know, I would say it goes back to Josie Altidore. I say it goes back to, could maybe say Jordan Morris, just in terms of, you know, get going hot. It's like a rookie in baseball, not to stretch it too far in terms of analogies across sports, but it's a rookie in baseball who nobody knows anything about because nobody's, you know, seen his ML, his spring training, you know, stats or whatever, so they don't know what he can hit, so... He's going to be really solid in the first two months, and then when the opposition starts to figure out, okay, pitch him sliders low and away, and he's going to swing every time, he's going to slump. And I think, you know, this break we kind of got teased to a peppy slump, not in the sense that he was ineffective, but just in the sense that he wasn't as dominant and wasn't, like, the man as he was in other World Cup qualifying runs. But I think something we talked about earlier, which is applicable here, is when Rain is back to form, I think you've got a lot of quality options up front. You know, Josh Sargent, we mentioned, was really solid, then dipped out of form. I could see him being reintroduced. Jordan Morris just got back for Seattle at the end of this MLS season. He's back fit. I don't personally like Jordan Morris, but he's he's an option that you could go to. And I think the beauty of this team right now, and it, it's I don't want to you know commit hubris by being too prideful of that win against Mexico, 
but they're so dangerous in the wide positions. They're so dangerous through the midfield in terms of where your best quality players are. I don't think that you know you need a phenomenal number nine. You need a number nine that's going to press, a number nine that's going to play with his back to goal, a number nine that can finish with inside the 18 that we saw Pepe do you know, phenomenally in his first couple caps. So, granted, that's a kind of a big list for, you know, this is what my number nine needs to do if you're Greg Burhalter, but I think that there's candidates amongst the amongst the team in their depth chart that can fill that in, and, you know, maybe it's trial and error and something they need to address moving forward. But I think right now, if I'm Greg Burhalter, I'm not too worried about it. I'm not pressing Ricardo Pepe to do anything too crazy because you know it's going to take for him some time to find a comfortable stride when he's no longer this, you know, rookie sensation when he's, you know, becoming a, sol- a solid part of this national team. But perhaps the biggest takeaway, and we haven't gotten to this yet, and truth be told, we haven't spent too much time on this team altogether just because, granted, we're all Americans and we all like the American national team and we feel that everyone wants to talk about it. But so much of the focus in this CONCACAF group has been at least in the recent years, it's been the U.S., Mexico, Costa Rica, Panama making Panama making it to the World Cup in 2018, and you know Canada Canada really getting no love. But as we sit here after this international window, Canada sits on top of the group. You know, playing at home, they beat excuse me Costa Rica one 0 and then in what was literally the coldest game that Mexico's ever played as, as a national team. Temperatures of 16 degrees in Edmonton when they kicked off. You see Canada take down Mexico, which is almost a probably a big, bigger result than the U.S. beating Mexico. Beat them two to one in what was del, dubbed uh, Estadio Frisio or something. Iceteca. The ice. Oh, the Estadio Iceteca. Classic wordplay from the Canadians. But it was a game in which Canada looked comfortable. Saw Kyle Lahren get two goals, not early, but two goals early enough to the point where Mexico was kind of a chasing the game, scoring in the end of the first half and then right out of the gates in the second half, and then Hector Herrera scoring for El Tri in the 90th minute, so a consolation goal at that. But this this Canadian team turning some heads within the CONCACAF group just because I think – at least for myself, and if you guys have different approaches to them, feel free to write me off as a non-believer, but I think everyone kind of looked at this Canada team and said, yeah, they're young. Yeah, the reason that they play so well is because they, you know, a lot of this team, with the exception of a couple veterans, a lot of this team has just kind of grown up together, but they really don't have the quality to, you know, take down, you know, Mexico, for instance, or the United States. So they're just kind of coasting through beating the easy-to-beat teams, and then when a big team comes their way, they'll play for a draw and they'll be happy with that. But I don't think that was the case, what we saw against that you know that Mexico game. Granted, the temperatures and the conditions favor really neither side, and you saw really a kind of a sloppy first half until Canada got on the score sheet. But nonetheless, Canada sitting atop the group. Does the United States need to be more worried about Canada than Mexico or more worried about them than Panama or Costa Rica? I think it's a good question because I think Canada is here to stay. I think, you know, when you think of the Canadian national team, maybe if you don't follow the CONCACAF that closely, you think of Alfonso Davies, and then that's about it. But, I mean, Kyle Aaron's a great player. Jonathan David is a great player. Tejon Buchanan is a really good young player for the Revolution. There's talent there. 
And I think they've shown, I mean, they're the only unbeaten team still in CONCACAF qualifying, four wins and four draws. I mean, they've proven it. They are here to stay. Granted, they have a pretty tough schedule. I'd say the toughest out of the rest of CONCACAF in terms of qualifying. They've only got two home games left and four on the road. One of those home games is the U.S. But they've yet to really run. I mean, they've gone to the Azteca, but they haven't really run the the CONCACAF, very, really like Central America gauntlet. What do you think of when you think of CONCACAF qualifiers? They still have to go to Honduras, El Salvador, Costa Rica, and Panama. They have their work cut out for them, but, I mean, it's really this last window solidified it. This is a four-horse four race, really, between the Can- Canada, U.S., Mexico, and Panama won't go away. Panama are staying here, and... There's only three automatic spots. Only one point separates the U.S. from Panama, who are in fourth. Um, so I think there's really no room for a slip-up at home for the U.S. Even There's no room for slip-ups really anywhere for any of these teams. They've got to be on top of their game because, I mean, Mexico, I don't expect to uh, slip up as they did. These are probably the two toughest games that they played in this window. They've got four at home to go and just two on the road. I think Mexico are going to qualify, but really it's four four teams for three spots, and it really could go anywhere. Yeah, and I think, as you said, this, this Canada team, it's a young team, and I think it's really good for CONCACAF having another team that's young and up and coming, and it and it can only help the sport, and it can only help CONCACAF, you know, as as a group in, in the world of soccer. And, you know, having having a team like that, you know, just bolsters USA and makes them play against – teams that you know they didn't play against in the past you know teams of better um teams of better character and you know teams of better experience and you know uh more quality and so keep going keep going my bad (laughs) yeah and so you know for usa um you know this can only help them and this can only help you know soccer as a whole for Concacaf. yeah and i think that was the point i was going to make john and i'm happy you brought it up is that you know the u.s Obviously, not qualifying in 2018 is one thing, but I've been one of the firm believers that they need to schedule harder non-CONCACAF opponents solely because, hypothet- assuming they make it to a World Cup, you don't want to be outclassed, and you want to have some some gauge as to where you're being outworked. Because, you know, you see this loss or draw to Jamaica, or you see the loss to Panama— and you think that those losses and draws and whatever they may be are more indicative of a work ethic problem or, you know, Burhalter lining up a really poor 11 problem more than, you know, it's the actual product on the field. And I think, you know, the biggest complaint or biggest worry, rather, is could the United States address the issues as they were happening if they don't play these big games besides, you know, a Mexico and a Costa Rica and a Panama on the road, which are granted four games, but... You think you need more than that to fully gauge, you know, where your squad is moving forward. But now that Canada's into the picture, it obviously creates an entirely new rivalry, you know, shared border, obviously. But it also creates a new emphasis that, you know, we can't just r- roll out whatever 11 we want when we don't have a tough game in Central America on the road or we when we're playing Mexico, wherever we're playing Mexico. Anytime we see Canada on our schedule now, it gets extremely interesting just because... We've talked about how young they are, but more importantly, how well they're gelled together. And as Nick, you pointed out, like they're unbeaten in Concacaf. They, you know, they play for results, and you know maybe that's 
a, t- a something that Burhalter needs to address more is like, can we get results in close game? Because as we said in that Jamaica game, it very well could have gone the other way. But I think, by and large, the addition to Canada and you know, maybe they make it to the World Cup, maybe they don't, just because we got so much soccer left to play realistically. And you know, you mentioned it, that the top four teams in CONCACAF are all separated by three point, no, two points. Two points. Two points. So it, it really can go any which way, and you know, they're going to see each themselves again. But you pencil in that Canada versus U.S. game taking place in the next international break, which is in two months' time in January, January 30th, up in Canada. If you're the U.S., you're playing that you're not playing outside like Mexico was because it's tough to play any resemblance of soccer when you're quite literally freezing to death. But if you're Canada, you say, why not play outside? We know we've trained outside. We know what these winters are like. Why give them a comfortable environment, maybe in BC place that's, you know, or in Montreal that, you know, are indoor? Throw them to the Wolves. Go play in two inches of snow. See if you can get a result on our turf. And I think that will be a super interesting game for, you know, us to follow and, you know, U.S. fans to follow just because hopefully all those injury problems are gone, you know, barring somebody getting injured in the span of time in two months, which is quite frankly a lot of time but hopefully you know you've got as close to a fully fit side as we've seen for this team and they'll probably be the biggest test for this u.s program oh for sure that january window the the results of this last round of games just solidified how big of a window that is i mean just the u.s has to beat el salvador at home that's a given they have to beat honduras at home but that game in canada i'm not sure i i think canada is going to try and freeze the u.s like they froze mexico and play outside i think the u.s is going to be more well adapted to that than Mexico is just because a lot of Mexico squad is, you know, domestic based and really haven't ever experienced conditions like that. I mean, the U.S. haven't either, but they've played. I'm sure some of those players have played up in Minnesota before in Chicago in the in the late fall, early winter. And I think that's definitely what Canada is going to try and do. Them being strong in CONCACAF, although it might, might make qualifying harder for the U.S. in the short term, it's only a good thing. In the long term, it's only going to make them better. The more good teams in CONCACAF, the better the results are for the U.S. men's national team in the long term, no matter how you know painful, they're because the U.S. is really going to have to run the gauntlet here down the stretch in CONCACAF. Qualifying could very well come down to that last window for the U.S., and that last window is tough. They got Mexico at the Azteca, Panama at home, and then Costa Rica away where they've never won before. Um, I believe they might not have even gotten a point before in Costa Rica in the in the Hex era. Um, so if it's coming down to that last window and really that last game against Costa Rica, I would be worried. I think at this point, if the U.S. can win their home games, um, maybe scrape a couple results away from home, they should be fine. But by no means is this easy, and the emergence of Canada is just kind of solidifying that fact. Yeah, and I think, as you said, you know, all these games are important. But, you know, we talk about the big games against Canada and Mexico. But I think if you're USA, you cannot be dropping points in any of these games. And you need to, you need to take every single game from now on and treat it like it's a Mexico game or treat it like it's a Canada game. And I think that's the only way that USA will make it to the World Cup and the only way to not let down their fans again in another World Cup. And so... You know, I'm really excited. You know, I think this USA team has the potential to do so. They have the players to do so, the quality, and we've seen it. But now they just need to go out and show it in these in these next couple of games um, for World Cup qualification, and I'm really excited about it. And I think, you know, 
as we get towards the end of the show here, I think what's most important to emphasize is you got to win the ones that you're supposed to win. So that means beating El Salvador, beating Honduras, and realistically beating Panama at home. Those are three games that if you're coached by Greg Berhalter, you say, I need to win these games. It has games. to be nine points. has to be nine from those three. And then you play Canada on the road, you play Mexico on the road, and you play Costa Rica on the road. Look at those three slides of games. You say, okay, assume we get nine from the ones that we're supposed to get nine from. Those other three games, you're saying either five or six points, you're, you're more than comfortable with that. I think, you know, if you get – I would even throw four. You can't go – you can't take three. But depending on how they stack up – you're realistically saying four to six points is great. If we get anything more, I'm ecstatic. But we have to at least get two results from the tough games against Canada, Mexico, and Costa Rica all on the road. But, yeah, you just got to – I think all of us can agree, you know. If you look back into this qualifying schedule for the United States, you look at the results that ultimately might come back to bite them in the butt just because, you know, you look at an 0-0 draw against El Salvador – you look at that loss against Panama. Okay, you look at, you know, even though we're you know singing their praises, that one-one draw against Canada, kind of want to win that one. So you just can't let the defining factor of this World Cup qualification be we missed opportunities to win against really against sides that don't want to say are lesser, but you have to get a win against El Salvador. You have to get wins against Honduras. And realistically, when you're at home, as well as this team plays at home, you need to get wins against Panama. So the United States is off, as we mentioned. Next time in action is actually December 18th. That's a non-FIFA friendly against Bosnia and Herzegovina at home, which is always good for the United States. But I think what's most important with with this match against Bosnia is that we're going to see a lot of MLS players just because it's not a recognized international break for by FIFA so most of the you know big names are going to stay with their European clubs presumably but perhaps gives you a chance to see Pepe grow a little bit more in a non-high pressure situation you know we talked about Walker Zimmerman how well he played can cement his role in that back line you know Turner and net assuming he gets the nod he's probably going to like try and ask the question of Will Zach Steffen still keep his job if he doesn't get a good, you know, doesn't play too well or if he gets injured or whatever? And then, you know, we talked about the reintroduction of Jordan Morris. He could be thrown in the mix. So I think, you know, that game against Bosnia is going to be definitely interesting to see what Burhalter does in terms of who he plays, solely because without the big names, you're going to need to find guys that you're comfortable with and guys that you might have to become more comfortable with in these upcoming CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers. But besides that game against Bosnia, the United States takes a break from CONCACAF, as does the rest of CONCACAF, next in action in late January, stretching into February, games against El Salvador at home, and then they go to Canada, and then they're back at home against Honduras. Then they get to that tough three games in March, which is too far away for us to be concerned about. But overall, boys, are we? I, I think, you know, are we happy with the way this went? I'm satisfied at our position right now. I would have been more satisfied with three points in Jamaica, but I think... Right now, we're in a good spot, second in the group. It's a little worrying that fourth place is so close, but four, there's four good teams that really could go either way. I think Panama's good, but I expect Panama to slip up a little bit now. Um, they've been grinding out results coming from behind, some crazy games, some crazy wins. Um, I think they're going to slow down a little bit, but if they don't, you got to be ready, and you can't drop points in games that, you're, that, you, that you can't, um, like those home games, those three home games have to be nine points. Um, and the U.S. just can't take their foot off the gas like they did, like they have a couple times earlier, 
in this qualification process. Yeah, I think coming into this window, you would have been really happy with four points. And then after the Mexico game, you know, you could say that that 1-1 draw, you know, kind of left a bad taste in our mouths. But, you know, that's in retrospect. And I think just moving forward, like we talked about, um, you know, you just have to take every game seriously. Um, You know, you can't drop points to any of these any of these teams because, you know, all these other teams, they want to make it to the World Cup, too. And, you know, they're grinding every week and. And, and you know, we've said how much quality is in this CONCACAV now. And, you know, everybody's fighting for, you know, those those four spots or potential four spots. And and so, you know, I want to see USA make it to the World Cup. And, and you know, it'll be very interesting to see in these next two windows uh, if USA can pull it off. Yeah, and I think, you know, the only result, I think you're fine with how the U.S. played. The only result is maybe you're like, hey, Costa Rica, you couldn't have beaten Canada in that 1-0 loss. You couldn't have squeaked out an equalizer and, you know, drawn so that obviously they're not sitting on top of the group, but also, you know, hurts their morale, whatever it may be. It doesn't make them look as formidable. But on the other hand, you want them to look as formidable as possible because we know how much quality this team plays with. And we also know how sometimes the United States takes a game off when they don't think they have to get up to the challenge. That's going to do it for us here tonight. Super fun, interesting episode. All the good stuff about the U.S. in this most recent World Cup qualifying window. Domestic leagues are back this upcoming weekend, so next week we'll probably dive into that. Though we only focused on the U.S. in terms of World Cup qualifying, ton of news out of Europe, which we didn't get to solely because I think this should be the prerogative. But I want to—I I think we should get into that next week, and we will. Just, you know, all the news about Portugal perhaps being bounced, Italy, the European champions on the hot seat, all that good stuff. Coming to you next week. So for John Tayos, Nick Guzman, and today's producer, Michael Hernandez, I'm Keenan Troy. Wishing you guys a happy week. Hopefully we can squeeze in another episode before Thanksgiving. If we don't, enjoy time with the family. It's always worth it. Take care, guys.